Last season, I did a preseason podcast called A Love Letter to Gambling. In it, I espoused my bullshit about gambling narratives that I like to employ when making my bets. I will never recommend looking at me for advice. I just like to talk out what works for me in hopes that it helps you consider what works for you. I will profess the same preamble as last year. I am not a tout. I'm a gambler. I like to bet football for fun, but I am passionate and willing to work to do well, or at least work enough not to look really stupid and go broke. Don't be intimidated by the so-called professionals on TV and other podcasts. Don't think that you need a statistics degree from MIT in order to be sure that you have positive EV on a prop bet you want to make. Just know what you feel you have a good grasp on and incorporate that into your betting style. Then add a touch of discipline and a dash of bankroll management and voila, you can be a gambler. If you haven't listened to the previous Love Letter podcast and you like this one, Give it a listen. Doesn't matter what order, it's all made-up theory anyway. Concept number one. Oh, by the way, in that love letter last year, I went over four of my favorite narrative concepts, and I've added four more to this one as well. Concept number one. Check the schedule for the following week to see who the teams in the game you are currently looking to bet are each playing the following week. I'm going to use some hypothetical matchups for examples here. Let's say you've got a big favorite like the Kansas City Chiefs playing a mid-level team. It's possible that they might give less than full effort if the following week they have a game against rivals Buffalo or Cincinnati. You might catch a team like the Browns, say catching 10 points. Sure, the Chiefs are way better, and even watching the game, they outplay them. But maybe they have an uncharacteristic turnover that leads to a cheap Cleveland score. And maybe at the end of the game, the Chiefs run more clock than usual and don't try to add on to a six-point lead. Maybe Andy Reid buries the playbook because he doesn't want to give away any of those really clever offensive schemes that he's been working on all offseason for the big games against teams like Buffalo and Cincinnati. The spot here protects your underdog play if the favorite has a marquee game the following week. This could also have been a spot where the Chiefs were a little less than had they played the Bills or the Bengals the week prior. It could have been an instance, back and forth game, where they pulled out a victory in the final seconds. This current game may not live up to the rush that the players experienced the week before, so they play a little flat, a little down to the competition. This is reason to consider who teams just played, as far as knowing the state of mind the players may be in. Now, there is a situation where that Chiefs minus 10 could have been the right play. Let's say the Chiefs played the Bills or Bengals and they got blown out, embarrassed on national television. 
Now they would be ready to play their best against whoever it was they played. It would now be an unfortunate spot for the Browns, who would face an ultra-motivated Chiefs team. Either way, knowing who they just played is important when factoring how they're going to play their current opponent. Let's not dwell on the poor Brownies here. Let's move ahead in the schedule and say in the new hypothetical, the, pl- the Chiefs just played the Broncos, and now they're playing the Dolphins. Next week, they will play the Chargers. This is what is known as the Division Sandwich. One week you're playing division rival Denver, the next week you're just playing a regular old conference opponent, the Dolphins, but then the following week, another division rival in the Chargers. Hence, the Dolphins become the division sandwich. (laughs) This is actually the first concept I ever read about in a book. This is like before Amazon was even around as a book company. I searched high and low trying to find some book on handicapping sports betting. I found one book and it was really lousy. It rambled on about nonsense for 100 plus pages. It did have this gem in it though. And the division sandwich is still a concept a lot of people pay attention to today. The division games are so important as far as a path to the playoffs. They're also the games coaches have spent the most time on scheming. You know you're playing this opponent twice every single year. And it's one of the few matchups that these coaches will spend their limited practice time working on in the preseason. When these rivalry games come up on the schedule, teams really prioritize and focus on them. If after a division game, the game after the next game is another division game, it's easy to look past or unspecifically planned for the team in the middle. Teams may just go for a game plan they regularly run to try not to overload the scheme, especially in between these two crucial division matchups. Now, I know I've picked a bad example here with Andy Reid and the Chiefs. He may be the best offensive game planner in league history. It seems he has an endless supply of offensive looks, and he's had those for over two decades. Lesser coaches in this spot, though, will certainly lean on a non-team-specific game plan and focus their time on the two division games. The concept simply looks at favorites who would be correctly priced if you were certain they were going to play at their highest level. Looking at the schedule and seeing spots in the previous and or following week can give you an idea of less than full motivation or occasionally a highly motivated redemption spot. Concept number two, look to fade favorites heading into the buy. There's often talk of teams of playing teams after they've had their bye week. Just because it's popular doesn't mean it isn't good advice. It is. Extra time to prepare, extra time to rest, these are in general an advantage. But because the concept is so well known, the bookmakers, the drastically bookmakers, are factoring it into the line. So you rarely get an edge or value in the number. What 
doesn't get factored in is when a team has an upcoming bye. Let's say the Dolphins from Concept 1 beat the Chiefs in that division sandwich spot we talked about. Now, the Dolphins are home and favored against the Steelers. A quick note, stay tuned for love letter number three next year, and I'll talk all about how to play the Mike Tomlin spots. Anyway, the following week, the Dolphins will have their bye. And let's say after that Chiefs game, they are 5-2 and two on the season. Now, that was a big win against the Chiefs. They celebrated. It was out in South Beach and having a really good time. They know that regardless of what happens the following week, they will have a winning record going into the bye. Players start making plans with friends, with families. Coaches think that this week will clearly be easier than playing Kansas City, so they can generalize the game plan. Just a little deceleration of intent can be the difference between winning and losing at this level. And certainly, it will make a difference between covering and not. Just think about how much effort you are putting in at your job before a long weekend or the start of a vacation. Is the boss really getting your full effort that day or are you half checked out? Finding fade spots for teams coming off big games can be compounded if the following game is before their bye week. I'll give one tip on playing teams after their bye week. A road team doesn't have the same disadvantage of having to travel if they had the previous week off. It's just that it's just not that much of a detriment playing on the road even even in week 1 when you didn't have a game the previous week. Same holds true for the bye and stats actually back this up. Road favorites off of a bye have covered right around 60% over the past two decades. That's a monster number in the sports betting world. Basically, if over the past 20 years, all you did was bet on road favorites after their bye, you wouldn't have to have legitimate employment. You wouldn't have to worry about that half-ass effort you put in the day before your vacation starts because your job would be gambling. Last thought on this concept. If I have a team that has been on a run of wins after the season has started rough, the last thing I want for that team is the bye week. If you start the season off 1-4 and and then run off three wins in a row to get to 500, a bye week hits the brakes on your momentum. When that team comes back to play, the market may overvalue them in my opinion because those three wins in a row are a little depreciated because they had the week off. Concept number three, the hardest bets to pull the trigger on are the best ones you'll ever make. This is not about being contrarian. It's not like trying to bet like a pro. It's just that When you bet a team who is dog shit, but you know the spot is right for them to overperform and or the favorite underperform, the gambling connoisseur inside you beckons your hands to place that wager. When you do, you immediately regret it. 
there is a moment before where not only do you think about not betting, but you even consider betting the other side. The other side seems so likely to win that you can envision it. So safe, so comforting, so smart. Where your side seems stupid, and you can envision your bet being worthless before the first commercial break of the game. But here's what it comes down to. If you bet enough games and are considerate of your approach, your style, you will see spots that the handicapping side of your gambling gambling personality knows is the right play to make. I cannot express how rewarding it is to win those bets that you tried your hardest to talk yourself out of. Once you've come to the point that you think you've found the side with an edge, the more uncomfortable that makes you, the more you should probably go ahead and pull the trigger. Do this enough and you will stop landing on what seems to be the easy bets to make. Never forget, the bookie is not your friend. There are no free squares on the middle of the bingo card here. If you feel comfortable with your bet, you should be worried. If you feel sick to your stomach after you place it, you should feel like a pro. Concept number four, shelve new defensive coordinators until October. The entire NFL benefits teams with offensive mindsets. Teams throw more than ever, go for it on fourth downs, and constantly pass up on field goals because touchdowns are the only foreseen ways to accumulate enough points to win. Want to be a hard-hitting, stingy, defensive-based team? Good luck. Defense has all but been legislated out of the league. You can't hit the quarterbacks. You can't get handsy with the receivers. And if any five foot seven speedster wants to run across the middle of the field, the referee turns into a damn crossing guard, makes sure the path is free and clear. Mike Lombardi often says, the best way to play defense in the NFL is not to play any, meaning controlling the clock and limiting how much time your defense is on the field is really the only way to keep the opposing team from scoring. All that being said, winning teams will often find a way to at least be situationally relevant on the defensive side of the ball. They're not going to stop every catch or keep teams from accumulating yards. They will, though, get stops on third down and hold teams to field goals in the red zone. With everything stacked against them, the best defensive coordinators find ways to mitigate the onslaught of today's offensive-minded wonderkins. I often get excited when I see a team has replaced a lousy or mid-level defensive coordinator with someone in the top tier. The pundits will talk about how improved these defenses will be, and they are not wrong, but they are not considering that they are early on the prediction. Everything works against a really good defensive coordinator early in the year. All of the clever offensive schemes and new wrinkles in play calling have yet to be seen, so they are more likely to work. Players are healthy, no lingering soft tissue injuries for the skill players, and quarterbacks are playing behind all five projected starters on the offensive line. It's September. No snow, freezing cold weather, just clear sky and green grass for speedsters to run amok. The defense is always adjusting taking what the offense gives and making proper changes, not just in-game, but throughout the season. 
A new defensive coordinator might change their base defense from a 3-4 to a 4-3. They might decide to limit or increase blitzing from the previous regime. All of these things take more time than other coaching adjustments. Enter pundit overreaction and justification. In the preseason, all of the geniuses at the Worldwide Leader and the experts on the Big Football Network will talk about how good the defense will be now that Joe hit him in the mouth has taken over. So when the defense gets lit up in week one and week two, they completely back off the opinion. I guess this guy doesn't know what he's doing. This defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. Let them backtrack. Just take the opinion you have on defense, making vast improvement, and place it on the back burner. Once October comes around, the players have adjusted, and the concepts have fleshed themselves out. All of a sudden, the defense is much better. By November and December, the offensives have ran through their new plays, and the cold winter weather is slowing down the air raid. Knowing defensive coordinators who can match their teams up properly is a huge edge you can gain as a better. Just give it some time to marinate. In the meantime, the media pundits will build value for you by claiming the sky is falling on any effort to stop the offensive onslaughts. These are just a few concepts I like to employ when finding narrative edges week to week. Use what works for you, blow off what doesn't. You know, buffet style. Hopefully, this gets you thinking about your own concepts that you can use for your own weekend bets. Next week, Mike should be joining me as we start previewing the divisions and making some sure-to-go-wrong predictions along our way. If you enjoy the podcast, all I ask is give the next one a try. All shows are available on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and now Apple Podcasts as well. Good luck and happy betting.